1: Merry Christmas, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we journey through our special Christmas series, Pastor Will continues in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 10-19, through with part 3A of a message entitled, The Wonder of the Incarnation.
2: Up to you alone. Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and we will continue looking at this wonder called the Incarnation. As we have been examining the Incarnation, the idea that God became a man, we learn from Hebrews 1 that God loves us so much that he spoke to us not by a prophet or by an angel, but by a son. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, we saw that Jesus succeeded in every area that we failed. That as a son of man, he will inherit all things, yet we do not see the world under his rule currently. And so while this explains why our world is still a mess, even though God became a man and rescued us, it does leave us with a very practical question. How do we live in a world that's ruled by temptation, sin, and death? Well, the answer also lies in the wonder of the incarnation. This idea of Emmanuel, the God who is not just with us back then and not just in the future when he comes, but the God who is with us right now. So Hebrews chapter 2, let's read verses 5 through 9, and then we'll pick up our study in verse 10. I'll probably read through the end of the chapter, but we'll pick it up in verse 10, our study. Hebrews 2.5 says, For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, wherever we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Therefore, in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also himself likewise took part in the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. In verse 5, it explains to us that he did not create this world and give it to the angels, but instead he gave it to man. And man was made a little lower than the angels. We were not as qualified for the job as they were. We didn't have the skill set, the natural makeup that would make us superior to the angels. And yet God elevated us. He crowned us with glory and honor, elevated us above them by giving us dominion over the earth. And so, instead of receiving that grace of God and being content with that gift from the Lord, we rejected it for something else the lie that the enemy sold to us, and we made a mess of our world. And God loved us so much that he sent Jesus into the world, and he was made a little lower than the angels as well for the suffering of death. But then, by being that faithful Son of Man, by succeeding where we failed, he was already glorified as the Son of God, but now as the Son of Man, he was crowned with glory and honor, elevated to that position of ruler over the earth and yet we don't see all things under his feet yet. We don't see all the things under the feet of a man yet. We see a world that's in control of the enemy, that mankind follows his lies. But it explains that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He did what we could not do by the grace of God, lived as a man should live, and then died for us. So how does that affect our everyday life? You know, God created the world to be ruled by man, but That's not how we see things now. We see Jesus. We look to our Savior at all times for everything we need, but what exactly are we looking at? And how can that affect our present experience of life in a messed up world? Well, we're going to see four things that Jesus's life did for us that enables us to move forward no matter what our day looks like in this present evil world. So, In verse 10, we see the first thing that Jesus did for us by his life that enables us to live and shows us how to live. It says, For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The phrase there, became, means that which is fitting, proper, or right, that which is in good taste. While Jesus needed to become a man in order to die for our sins— That's not the only reason for the incarnation. The incarnation was right. Like when you taste something and it tastes exactly how it's supposed to. Have you ever decided to make something because you get a recipe for it and, you know, or someone made it for you and thought, "Oh, that was delicious. I'm going to make it. And then you cook it and you take it out and you take a bite and you go, it's not the same. It doesn't match up. It's not equal to it. It's not in good taste, is what we would say about that. That's why when someone, you know, dresses a certain way at a, at a, at a gathering, and that you're not supposed to dress, we'd say that's in poor taste, you know. That's what this word means, that which is fitting, proper right, and good taste. While Jesus needed to become a man to die for our sins, it was right that he become a man that he identify with us completely. For it says... It became him. It was bright. It was in good taste. The one for whom are all things, that he's going to rule and reign, and by whom are all things, that he's always the one who has communicated God's will toward man. It became him in bringing many sons unto glory. He's going to elevate us as well. It became him as in good taste to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The word there, perfect, means the full experience it, it was right for Jesus to have the full experience of humanity through his sufferings. Jesus' life on earth was a process of identifying with us fully. You know, when the scripture talks about how he learned obedience as a son. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't understand what obedience was in heaven. Certainly Jesus, he's God, he understands all those things. But the concept here is he went through the full experience of everything we go through. He identifies with us. The incarnation cannot be contained in either just Jesus' birth or just Jesus' death. It is everything in between, too. I remember when uh, the internet first came out, I was alive before that. And, you know, the big thing, of course, was, you know, now now you got to get a website, you know, and so everybody's getting a website, and so, you know, we had to develop one for the church. And so we're you know, designing this website, trying to figure things out. What do you got to have on there? We got to have directions. You got to have a statement of faith. You got to do this. And of course, I thought, well, if people are going to visit our site and that may be their first point of contact, we got to put the gospel up there. And so I wrote this whole thing out. And you know, I remember sharing with a, a buddy of mine, and I was explaining how Christ, he, all of his life is attributed to us. When we talk about how the righteousness of Christ is given to us, it's not just some ephemeral idea of, of righteousness or ethereal idea of, of righteousness that, well, you know, we've just been called righteous, but it doesn't really mean anything practically. No, the Bible teaches us that Christ's actual righteousness, this perfect life is attributed to us. And I remember I had a friend read through, I said, make sure this sounds good, whatever. And he's like, I don't think this is biblical. And I was like, what do you mean it's not biblical? And so I studied the word on this. I'm like, I want to make sure I got this right. And sure enough, you see all throughout the scriptures that all of the life of Christ is attributed to us. And so we cannot contain the incarnation either in just a single act of a baby being born and placed in a manger, nor of him dying on a cross. Even though those two things are wonderful in explaining God's love for us, they will unfortunately be incomplete if we don't take in consideration his entire life. You see, in heaven, Jesus could identify with our experiences of pleasure, joy, and triumph. He experienced those things in heaven But through his life, he can identify with our pain, with our sorrow, our disappointment, our temptations, all the things that we go through. So whatever you're going through right now, Jesus doesn't just know about it as God. I think sometimes we can, you know, someone says, well, well, Jesus knows what you're going through. Of course I know what he knows what I'm going through. He's God. He knows everything. Hold on a second. Let's, Let's take a step back. While that is true, that's not the full truth. Jesus doesn't just intellectually know about it because he's God and he knows everything. He also identifies with it as a Son of Man. He understands, he gets it, he's lived it. Even if he didn't personally experience it, people around him did somewhere. So he knows, not just here but by experience as well. And as our captain, he knows just what to say and just what to do to lead us out of whatever tar pit we're in and to bring us to the glory that he's been crowned with. That's what it tells us here. That it was right to make the captain of their salvation experience these things fully through all of his sufferings. Notice it doesn't just say through his suffering not just through the cross, but through everything he's been through. Jesus knew what it was like to lose a loved one. He knew what it was like to experience death in the loved one. You know, he knew what it was like to experience sickness. You know, someone else. I'm sure he knew what it was like to experience so many of the things that are represented in this room. If you were to share whatever you're struggling with today, or whatever you've been struggling with in 2020, he's gone through it, and he can identify. And He knows just what to say and to do to lead us out of it and to bring us to the glory He's been crowned with. So the first way that the incarnation affects our present experience of this messed up life is that He identifies with us. But the second way is found in verse 11. He is also happy to be united with us. It says, For both He that sanctifies, that's Jesus, the captain who makes us holy, that's what sanctifies means, to make holy, For both he that sanctifies, Jesus, and they who are sanctified, that's us as believers, are all of one. That's interesting. Literally, in in the original language, it means they are all from the same one. What does that mean? They're all from the same one. Jesus may be the only begotten Son of God. Nothing will ever change that. There is, I'm I'm not a little God, okay? I don't care what anybody else tells you. I'm not a little God, all right? Jesus is not a little God either. He is God, 100% God. I am not a begotten son of God. However, even though Jesus may be the only begotten son of God as our captain, he has united us to himself by making us adopted sons and daughters of God as well. We are now joint heirs with Christ. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That is our position in Him. We have been elevated. He is leading us to glory as our captain. That's why it explains He brings many sons to glory. You know, it's interesting that it doesn't say He brings many disciples to glory. It doesn't say He brings many converts or believers to glory, even though that's true. But He has united us to Himself. We are sons and daughters. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) You know, Jesus doesn't look at you and me and say, well, you're only here because dad made me invite you into the family. Even though we were created small and insignificant, right? He doesn't see us as small and insignificant. It says, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's mind-blowing. Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother, you know? He's happy we've been united to him. He's happy we're part of the family. He's happy that we're joint heirs with him. He's happy that we're his bride. You know, no one's dragging Jesus to the altar. He is happy to be there. and He's looking for the day that the Father gives the nod so we can be reunited and be with him forever. He is happy to have us alongside him. Isn't that awesome? You know, if you have trusted the Son of God as your Savior, you are never alone. You always belong somewhere. You're always wanted, and you always have a future and a hope, no matter what's going on here or how someone else is treating you here. No matter who's rejected you, no matter who's left you, no matter what this broken world has taken from you, you always have someone who is happy to be united with you, who will never leave you or forsake you. That's the second thing that Jesus did for us that enables us to live in this present world. A third thing is found in 14 and 15. Verses 12 and 13 are quotations from the Old Testament that confirm Jesus' mentality towards us. So I'm not going to go into those, but let's go to verses 14 and 15 because it shows us this third thing that Jesus did for us that enables us to live in this present evil world. It says in verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. The children here are, are originally, you know, we, we read the scriptures, I believe it's in Matthew, it might be Luke, but it talks about how Adam was the son of God. He was not the a begotten son of God like Jesus. He's not, he was made in the image of God, but he was not in the very essence and nature of God. Adam was a man, right? God created Adam and Eve in his image, and, and, and yet he called him a son. Now, that was not his natural position. It was not a, 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 a family position in the sense of how it naturally happened. He wasn't there from all eternity, but he, we were elevated again, a gift of grace to the status of son and daughter of God. For as much then as the children, Adam and Eve, and then by nature, of course, us since they have passed on that DNA to us, since we are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Now that phrase, a partaker of flesh and blood, is a Greek idiom, a Greek saying back then for human nature. They would always use it to describe something that was different than the nature of their gods. You know, When they would tell a story and their gods would get involved in the story, saying a partaker of flesh and blood would distinguish someone as a human being. We who were made human, for as much then as that happened, he also himself likewise took part of the same. The phrase took part means to become a member of a group. He joined our club. He joined our group. He became fully human. Now, that's interesting because this wasn't something he was born into. You and I don't get a choice into what group we're going to be in. You know, you can't be like, hey, you can be an angel, or you can be a human, or you can be God. You can be like, well, I'm I'm going to go for God, you know? I'm going to go for angel, you know? I'm definitely not picking the human part. We didn't get a choice, but Jesus did. Jesus, he didn't join the group of angels. He joined our group in addition to being God. And through that, why did he do that? That through death, his death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The word there, destroy, means to put an end to, to render ineffective, to abolish. That through his death he might abolish, render ineffective him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And that's an interesting concept. And then and, and it says that the devil, he, we were delivered uh, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We were delivered from the power of death held by the devil. Now, that's a weird thought because you think, what, how, how does Satan have the power of death? How does the enemy have the, that power? I mean, he can't create things. You know, did he create death? Well, no, he didn't create death, you know. But neither did the Lord. Neither did the Lord. You know, I, I hear people say things a lot about death that are incorrect. I hear Christians say things about death that are not biblical, For example, I'll even go to memorial services at times and I'll hear ministers say, you know, death is a natural part of life or death is a part of the cycle of life. I want to scream at that moment because I want to say, you don't understand the meaning of life then because death is nothing like life. It has nothing to do with life. It's a complete opposite of life. How can it be a part of life? The Bible tells us that death is the last enemy that will be defeated. It is not a part of God's plan. That's why it hurts. It's why it stinks. It's why it feels so wrong. Because God didn't create it. He didn't make it. Now, Satan is not a creator. He can't create things. He did not either. The Bible tells us that sin begat death. And the Bible tells us something else that's very interesting about our enemy. While the Bible repeatedly tells us that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, it also states that Satan is what? A liar and a murderer from when? The beginning. Oh, what happened in the beginning? He lied to Eve, deceived her, and what happened? She died. That's what the Scriptures tell us. He's a murderer from the beginning. So while he did not create death, He has been a killer from the start. And death entered our world when Adam and Eve sinned. And Satan has not stopped. He and the enemy forces, the Bible tells us, desire to steal, kill, and destroy. Death was never a part of God's plan. It is the realm of the enemy. It is a power he wields, not death itself, but the the power that, that death brings into our lives. We'll talk about that in a second, what it brings into our lives, but he wields that influence through his lies and through his deception and through his murderous heart. It is the realm of the enemy, and it will be the final enemy that Jesus destroys. And because of these things, death is terrifying, and therefore it is enslaving. We fear for it ourselves. We fear... We fear it for the ones we love. And the enemy uses that fear to tempt us to make decisions that prioritize making the most of this life, even if it comes at the expense of others, it comes at the expense of obeying God. He wields death, the power of death, like a bludgeon to terrify us. Now, Fear of death is only possible if we're still subject to death. Death is a product of sin. The age where sinful man rules and we don't see all things under the Lord's feet. So when the question is asked, why do bad things happen? I don't mean to sound trite or insensitive, but the reason bad things happen is because we're still trying to run the show. That's why bad things happen. Because the enemy still leads us around by the nose with his lies. Because he's still a murderer. He's still a liar. And we still listen. Now, that's the bad news. <laughs> the good news is if you're a Christian, you've been set free from that, right? That's what this whole point says here that Jesus rescued us from the power of death. We've been set free from that. Jesus made a very interesting statement in John chapter 11, 25 and 26. And I like to teach on this at memorial services. I don't talk about death as just a natural part of life. No, I explain how death is not. A part of the Christian life. Because Jesus, when Martha's brother died, when Lazarus died, and she came to him and said, she was heartbroken. She said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, He goes, Your brother will rise again. That sounds a bit callous, doesn't it? What do you. And she even, you see her response, I mean, What do you mean it? my brother's gonna rise again? I know he's gonna rise again. How does that help me right now? That's not the point. I didn't come to you because I go, I don't know if I believe in a resurrection. I came to you, Jesus, because my brother's dead and I have this pain right now. And what do I do? That's when Jesus replies. And he says, you missed my point, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. He that believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Talk about being put on the spot. That's crazy, Jesus. What do you mean, never dies? I mean exactly what I said. I'm the resurrection and life. Martha, if you believe in me, like your brother believed in me, there is no death. There is no death. You see, for the believer, our last exhale in this body becomes our first inhale in heaven. We're absent here. And we're with the Lord.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play.